there to the Jews, and we made visits in the home of Jews. And there is a difference in people that call themselves Jews and Orthodox Jews. Uh, very rich men I knew that I tried to lead the Lord after I got saved, Paul Schwartz, uh, he was an Orthodox Jew, and he went to synagogue once a year, and uh, he figured that was enough. And he let me know it very plainly. And so what uh, what makes it different is their teachings in uh, Judaism. Now, beginning in verse 17, Romans chapter 2, and verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and maketh thy boast of God, and knoweth his will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babies, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou, not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, doest thou steal. Thou that saith a man should not commit adultery, doest thou commit adultery. Thou that abhorth idols, doest thou commit sacrilege. Thou that maketh thy boast of the law, through the breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision barely profited, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thou circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the rights of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, Judge thee, who by the letter of and circumcision doeth transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outward, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inward. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, we, as we are studying through the book of Romans, uh, God is dealing with every walk of religion. Now, that's what the book of Romans is dealing with. Every part of religion, period, and how that men get saved. I don't care who you are. Jew, Gentile, I don't care about your color, your skin, or your, or your background. It deals with all walks of human beings, the book of Romans do, when it comes to salvation. Now, Acts chapter 26, verse 5 says, And the most strictest sect of our religion, I live the Pharisee. Now, Paul is used by the Holy Spirit to pin down the book of Romans. And Paul is telling everybody, he said, If there's anybody that was strict in religion, he said, I was. I live the Pharisee. And a Pharisee is the one who studied the Word of God and the, the old transcripts. Paul knew religious orthodoxy could make a sincere and zealous person the very enemy of Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 26, verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Orthodoxy in religion 
presupposes two basic requirements. Number one, the access to the truth. Number two, the accountability to the truth. Now, <clears throat> to have access to an open Bible greatly increases a person's responsibility in the sight of God. And I, I believe this 100%. I believe anybody that's raised in a Christian home, that's set under the Bible, heard the Bible preached, knows the Bible, studies the Bible, reads the Bible, there's great expectations out of that person spiritually. And it ought to be. Now, uh, so number one is access to the truth. Number two is accountability to the truth. Now, access to the truth begins in verse 17 down through verse 20. The Jew not only had ready access to the truth, but he was confirmed to that truth. Verse 17 and 18. Look at it. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and maketh thy boast of God, and knoweth his will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. So a Jew knew the laws of God. And I'm not talking about just the Ten Commandments. He knew all the laws of God because he diligently studied the law. Now, and so he was confirmed in the, that truth. Now, there were two advantages that you had according to these verses. Number one, he had the advantage of a Hebrew birth. From a child, the Hebrew was taught in the synagogue. From a child, the Hebrew was made to reverence and keep the Sabbath. From a child, the Hebrew was made aware of his need of a sin sacrifice. From a child, the Hebrew was indoctrinated in the truth of separation. He was delivered. When all around him was groping in darkness, the Hebrew uh, could lean back on the law. Not only did the Hebrew have the advantage of birth, he also had the advantage of the Hebrew Bible. Now, secondly, the Jew was confident of that truth. Verse 19 and 20. Look at it now. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a lot of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babies, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Now, I know a lot of religions, and, and I don't uh, necessarily have to call them out right now, but I know a lot of religions that studies the Bible just to argue. That's all they want to do. They just want to argue what is right and what is wrong. They get in debates, and they want to debate what is right and what is wrong. As far as I'm concerned, the Bible don't need debating. It is right. Amen? You don't have to sit around and say, well, is that what it means? And is that what it says? I believe the Bible interprets itself. And as you read it, uh, if you've got a question about it, just keep reading, and it will explain itself. And so I know that uh, the Jew was confident of that truth, and then the accountability, verse 21 and 24. In other words, a religious experience that is all talk and no walk will not stand the test of the day of judgment. Now I want you to watch this. Look at verse 21. Thou that saith a man should not commit adultery, doest thou commit adultery? And then he goes on down and mentions all these things, blaspheme God and also thou don't do it. Well, now I want to give you something. Here's the matter. Spiritual insincerity. 
Verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Now watch it. Real, true teachings of God's Word has its goal. You know what it is? It's in changing the behavior of the one that believes. In other words, if somebody comes along and says, well, I'm saved by the grace of God, and then they do contrary to the Word of God, you can mark it down. They never got born again. They're not saved. You claim to be something that you're not. It's what he's talking about. There is a matter of spiritual instances and sisters. Look at verse 21 and 22 now. As thou that sayest, verse 22, a man should not commit adultery, doest thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorst idols, doest thou commit a sacrilege? Now, the point is, the Jew preached the high and holy standards of the law, but was not concerned that his own life was a living life. Like some preachers I know, for instance, uh, uh, you, you can mention a whole bunch of them that would preach something and do something else. I never will forget a uh, preacher that I was under uh, years ago. Oh, man, you ought not listen to that country music, and you ought not listen to that, uh, and he would mention all this kind of, if you're a true Christian, you don't listen to that kind of stuff. And he walked in church one Sunday, and me and my wife was in the building there, and he come down the road, if I had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? And there he come down the aisle, singing it, and his wife hit the ceiling. She, and I almost called his name. She, she called him out and said, "Do you realize what you're saying?" He said, "No, what am I saying?" Now that proves he'd been listening to it all the time if he didn't even know he, he was saying it. Amen. But yet he would get in the pulpit. And he would condemn everybody else for listening to it and, and, and saying they're wrong, but he was doing it. Now, that's what the Bible's talking about you. Listen. Was that Jimmy Spire? No, was, that was one of them. <laughs> but, uh, I, <laughs> but but if, if you go through it and, and think about it for just a second, you think about if a, if a preacher gets up or any Bible teacher gets up and teaches something from the Word of God. Do you do you do it? Now it proves one fact: we're all sinners. I don't care who you are. There's only one perfect. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, uh, what he's talking about is the hypocrite of a Jewish person that says, oh, "I keep the law." No, you don't. There's not a human being alive who keeps the law. Not one. Everybody breaks them all. One. A law of some sort. Therefore, if you break one, the Bible says you're guilty of all of them. And so if you get up and say, I don't do these things, you're lying. And the Bible makes that very plain. And, and, and so Second Samuel 12, verse 14 says, Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Now here's what he's talking about. Did you ever hear somebody talk about a hypocrite? That preacher's a hypocrite. And that Christian's a hypocrite. Why? Because he claims to be something that he's not. And that's a that's a worse thing to Christianity that can be. If somebody's claiming it. That old sinner out there that drinks and raises sand and pitches a fit and everybody says, that old wicked guy down there, he ain't nothing but a sinner down the street. They don't expect any more out of him than that. Amen? I mean, they ride by his house. That's where the old sinner lived. 
But if they ride by a Christian's house, he gets everybody born and goes to church every morning, reads his Bible, and lets everybody in the neighborhood know, I'm a Christian. I don't go where he goes, and I don't do what he does. I don't talk like he does. I'm different. And then you don't live the Christian life, and they see you as a hypocrite. And that is a danger to Christianity. And that's what Paul is talking about. Mere orthodoxy in religion does not make one acceptable with God. Nor does it impress people either. So, a person's access to the truth increases his accountability to that truth. Now watch verse 13. Then. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Amen? Romans chapter 2, verse 13. No, let's read it again now. Listen to it. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law should be justified. And so you hear the gospel, but are you doing the gospel? Secondly, religious ordinances are examined, beginning in verse 25. And he talks about circumcision. Verily, probably, if thou keep the law, now watch this. Here Paul shows that mere rituals give no preference with God. The outward seal of Abraham's covenant and ordinance admonished to every Jewish male in empathy was circumcision. Today, we say how ridiculous to believe that being circumcised as a child could make you a child of God spiritually. But, we have religious practices ordinances in the same manner today. Baptizing infants for salvation. They believe that you, if you bring your little baby, and I've had people to do that here at this church, come in, well, I want to get our baby baptized. That's, that's foolishness. You baptize believers. A baby can't believe. But they've been taught that down through the years. And I could give you religions, and I'm not going to do it this morning, but I could give you religions that practice that. And they claim they're saved. Now watch. The law that God has given, beginning in verse 25, for circumcision, verily profit, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Now the reason you get baptized is because Jesus saved you. In other words... A rite or ritual is meaningful only as far as it is outwardly expressed of an inward experience. You say, well, preacher, I know a Jew that was circumcised. Well, that don't mean nothing if he don't accept Christ as a Savior. See, that's what he's talking about. You can be circumcised, you can be baptized, you can join a church, you can do anything you want to, but if you don't accept Christ as your Savior... It's just to no good to you. But if I'm going to do these things, then you make sure that you're saved by the grace of God. Now, the value of a divinely authorized ritual is related only to the law God has given. Now, so uh, it is related also to the light that a person has. Now, watch verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the rights of the law, Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter 
and circumcision doeth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is in is outward in the heart, in the flesh. Now, here's the point. When Jesus, I mean, when God told Moses, circumcise all the Jewish males, did that make them a Jew? No. That was a sign of them being a Jew. It was not the circumcision that made them a Jew. It was their inward heart believing that they God was their God that made them a Jew. The circumcision was a sign to everybody else. And by the way, if you read the Old Testament, they would go into a country, and for instance, I could give you one instance, they went into the country and all the males wondered how the women of the Jews and the Jewish males wondered how the uncircumcised women and everything, and God said, don't do that. And so they pulled a, pulled a thing on him and said, you can have our women if you'll be circumcised. And God destroyed them. Why? Because it wasn't the Albert circumcision that counted, it was the Indian circumcision that counted. And so if a person comes along and says, well, I joined a church and I was baptized. I had one just the other day I was talking to about salvation. I said, let me ask you something. Do you know you're going to heaven when I die? Well, I joined a church. I belong to the Baptist church. Okay. That's good. Amen. I don't save you. And and you, you hear that all the time. So Paul deals with those in chapter 2 that uses rituals for salvation. You've got the book. You've got the Bible. You've got the ordinance. You've got everything that teaches that Jesus is. Now, notice the limitless value of reality. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is an outwardly, neither that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In other words, do you know what circumcision to God is? It's the removing from the old heart and giving you a new one. God doesn't make the old heart over. He gives you a new heart. Altogether, He literally does heart surgery on you. And He gives you a new heart in Christ Jesus. God looks on the heart. You remember David? Little David came in and they said, this is the one that God chose to be king of Israel. Well, wait a minute. He had other brothers and they brought him in one at a time. And every time they'd bring on one, he would be a great guy, look strong, Looked like you ought to be a leader, and Samuel said, Not the one. And he'd bring in another, Not the one. And he find, Samuel finally told the one it was choosing, uh, God told Samuel, uh, Don't look on the outward appearance, look at the heart. And David, the Bible claimed to tell us in the book of Psalms, his heart was after God. David was the apple of God's eye. And, and why? Because his heart was right. Now, religious ob- objections examined, and we'll begin now in verse, uh, chapter 3. And I want you to watch this. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much ever way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, if a Jew comes along and says, 
What advantage is it to be a Jew? Well, man alive, you had the Bible given to you. That's the advantage. Amen? And so if you, if, if, when you think about it, the Jew was special. What made him special was that God gave him the oracles of God. God spoke directly to the Jewish nation. He doesn't do that anymore. They had advantage. Uh, let me put it this way. Who has advantage more? Now, I want to be careful how I say this because I believe this Bible is a spoken word of God. But suppose that God spoke to, let's say, Barry here this morning directly, and God gave me a concordance of the Bible, and I was reading it. Who has advantage? Barry does. Why? Because he had a direct line to God. I'm trying to get to God through other means, and so Barry gets direct word of God. Same way with the Jew. God spoke to the Jew directly, but all the rest of the nations around him, they, in turn, were supposed to be missionaries. They were supposed to be those that went out evangelists and evangelized the world, but they didn't do it. Now, but they had advantage over everybody else. Those who argued that right was wrong. Now look at verse 1 and 2. 2. Much in every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Some wanted to argue that when advantage has what advantage the Jew has. Verse 1 and 2 says much in every way. They were exposed to the Word of God even at a very early age. That's a great advantage. Then it says <coughs> those that argued that wrong was right. Now, look at beginning in verse 3. Well, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As written, that thou mightest be justified in thy saying, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if thou art unrighteous, come in the rights of God. What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God had not more abounded through my life unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not, brother, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. You know what he's talking about? You ever hear somebody, well, I'm saved by the grace of God and I can go out and do whatever I want to and I'm still going to heaven. That's damage to the Word of God. Now, watch this. Who argued that was right? There are two ways very wrong, positive argument here. Number one, unbelief actually enhances God's faithfulness and should therefore be encouraged. Now watch this, please, because it's very important. Unbelief actually enhances God's faith. That's what some was teaching. Now, Paul rebuffs this in verse 4. God forbid. God is never unfaithful. God never goes back on His Word. Paul quotes from Psalms 51. The second false position Paul refutes here, unrighteous actually enhances God's forgiveness, and therefore it's all right to sin. 
verse 5. Watch now. But if our unrighteous commend the wrath of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Paul concludes his case against the Jew. Religion in itself cannot exempt anyone from the judgment of God, Jew or Gentile. We will all be judged on the ground of a sinner. Now, our sins have been judged at Calvary. Now, here's what I'm talking about. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners, right? We were born in the sin. We're sinners, period. Nobody can ever stand up and say, I've never sinned. So we're all sinners. Now, watch this. God is going to judge sin, period. You can't get around it. I don't care what you say. If you're a sinner, which you are, you can't get around the judgment of God. You can't, can't do it. Now, either God's going to judge you, or He's going to judge Jesus Christ in your stead. Now, Jesus took my judgment upon His body upon the tree. Therefore, I'll never be judged by God again. He only judges sin once. And if a sinner dies without Christ, he's going to be judged and sent to the lake of fire forever and ever. It's just that simple. And so our sins have to be judged, and they were judged at Calvary. And those that don't receive that judgment will spend eternity in hell. Now, I want to begin in chapter 3 next week, beginning in verse 9. I want to just read it to you for a second. Now, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No one know why. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. And he goes on to talk about all the unrighteous that men do. And then he comes down to verse 23. For all the sin and come short of the glory of God. Now, he begins in chapter 3 in verse 9 on down. And he said, now, we've covered... All of the every aspect of human beings, period. Those that the hypocrites, we've covered the Jew, we've covered those that, in religious realms that claim to be right, and then he comes down and said, wait a minute, we're all under sin. There's none righteous. We all have to be saved the same way. In Romans chapter 3, he makes that very plain as you study it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless in the coming hour now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.